Welcome, Smurfs and Smurfettes, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcasts. My name's Adam. And my name is Azrael. <laughs> we are here to discuss a couple of issues, oh boy, it's one of those again, of X-Men Side Comics. Is that the official new name of this this brand? X-Men Side Comics? Yeah. Or, or, oh no, not this again. I think we could go with, oh no, not this again. <laughs> However, every now and again, a gem shows up in, oh no, not this again. Well, I think we've got at least one gem. Yeah, I agree. The rest of it's garbage. And I, you know, I think really the whole, the whole issue is about, uh, or this whole episode is really about this one that we're about to cover. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 91, the June 1984 issue, 60 cents titled, if it wasn't for bad luck, dot, dot, dot. What? Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man? That doesn't make any sense. Why would we cover that? Well, I'll tell you one thing. The blob's on the cover. Oh, that makes sense. Give it up, Spider-Man. When the blob's got you, you stay got. Yeah, blob has got Spider-Man, black costumed Spider-Man, and black cat in his big old blobby maws. Yeah, this is post-Secret Wars Spider-Man. Uh, what? I no, you don't know what that is, but I don't, it'll it'll help the readers. Like, I know those two words, but when you put them to, together like that, I, I don't know what you mean. I, I know. Huh. Well, the cover here is by Al Milgram, and as a matter of fact, the whole darn thing is practically done by Al Milgram, because he wrote and draw it, drew it as well. Jim Mooney is the, uh, the embellisher. Deanna Albers, a totally different cast of people than we're usually uh, used to dealing with. This is crazy. Yeah, Glennis Wingen, though, coloring, Danny Fingeroth uh, editing, and, and Heem Shuter editing in chief. Now, I don't know what you want to do with this, Adam, because most of this story I don't really care about, except for one chunk. Uh, but I got to say, like, this is a really well-drawn, uh, vibrant, color, uh, co colored comic. It's I good stuff. I like it. So maybe that means I just need to read Al Milgram's run of Spider-Man. Yeah, to, to summarize quickly, Peter Parker as Spider-Man is back from the... Secret Wars, which you don't know what that is, but our astute listeners may remember such a thing. And uh, he's trying to reconnect with the black cat who does not recognize this outfit and is freaked out by him. She finally does catch up with him. She tells him where she's been. She He, he even mentions Secret Wars, which uh, might help you out, Jeremy. I, I, I see the little thing here. See Marvel's secret... I, I can't read the rest of it here. It's on sale now, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah. And um, they reconnect. They they kiss. His Can new costume allows his, his face mask to fade away. Can I ask you a question, Adam? Uh, yes. Where, in, oh, wait, you just did. <laughs> can I ask you two questions? Well, that was your second one. Can I ask you four questions? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Where is Mary Jane? Is she a thing i mean she's a thing but is she like a fling thing um i know she's in the comic because that uh i'm not, not too familiar with spider-man but i know that the whole you just hit the jackpot thing was quite a while back and so he's like swinging around flirting with black cat and i knew that uh black cat spider-man had a thing uh primarily due to the 
little uh, Black Cat Spider-Man miniseries that Kevin Smith wrote. I don't know if you read that, but that's good. I read the first issue. I think I actually bought the first issue and then it didn't like it. I think it came out like every six months or something. So I just stopped buying it. <laughs> oh, see, I bought the hardbound collector's edition. So I got it all in one shot. Probably that missed. was the smart play. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story, though. Yeah, but I can understand how uh, waiting six months for every issue to come out could be very annoying. Kevin's been a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. All sorts of things going on in his life. But anyways, yeah, they, they kiss. And uh, she's she's like, how does your suit do that? And he's like, I don't know. Intercellar tailors don't give up their secrets. I can do all sorts of stuff. It's convenient for kissing and eating all kinds of stuff. So I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. Is there a spider fly that just appeared? I think so. Gross. <laughs> well, anyways, this is where the story really starts. And it's a circus that is occurring in the midst of Madison Square Gardens. As you do. Well, I mean, any story that features the blob generally features a circus. Oh, did I mention I'm drinking an optic blast? No, Adam, you did not mention that you were drinking an optic blast. I, yesterday, thought I need to go get myself some raspberry lemonade for an optic blast today and then totally spaced it out. <laughs> so I am I am not drinking an optic blast. Adam, how is your optic blast? I'm still working out the ratio. Mm. How, tell me, first of all, uh, tell me what your ratio was. Well, I put in a big, uh, I have a, like a big cube of ice. I started with that. One big cube of ice? And then I put in a shot of vodka. Okay. And then I filled the glass, which is a very small glass, with uh, the raspberry lemonade. Okay. And then I squirted uh, juice from a lime in there. Oh, like fresh lime juice. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, I, I get serious. Yeah, okay. I, I would expect that that you just mentioned. Now, when we, when we talk about squeezing a lime in there, was it like a, like a full quarter wedge or like an eighth wedge? Or what are we talking? It's a quarter wedge. Well, that, that seems to me like it should be plenty. And when we talk about the glass size, I mean, like a like a tumbler or something that you drink like a... Like a yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's, that sounds right to me. Not good? It's, uh, I, I, don't, I think maybe I had my expectations so high because I like, loved the idea of this drink and the, the name of this drink. Um, I, don't, I can't really taste the vodka. I think I need to, or maybe it's just the vodka I'm drinking. I'm <laughs> drinking a, 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 a Buffalo made vodka distilled from grain. Well. So maybe I need a better vodka. Do you like vodka? Mm, I like it in stuff. <laughs> I just wonder because, uh, I, I I genuinely thought the point of mixing a drink with vodka was to hide the flavor of vodka, but get all of the benefits of vodka. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then... Like, like vodka, to me... Now, there's bad vodka, right? There's, there's like, your Mr. Boston's, like, very low-shelf vodka. Uh, it comes in a plastic jug, and that has a sharp adjuncty flavor so you can put as much soda or lemonade or whatever you want to put in there it's going to taste good but you're still going to have that funk fill in the drink the better vodkas you get get rid of that funk in my opinion now, i'm sure someone out there is a super big vodka connoisseur who is like no comrade you are incorrect <laughs> you drink vodka on rocks and you you grow hair on your chest um but and I and I have three 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 probably three different kinds of vodka that that go up in um, quality and there's definitely a difference uh, in the flavors and and what the difference is in my opinion is 
the higher the quality of vodka, the less you're tasting the vodka when you're actually drinking your drink. Well, that could very well be. I think uh, it. I, I love the taste of the raspberry lemonade, and I feel like the vodka makes me enjoy that taste a little less. The lime is delicious, though. So the vodka should, like, you know, cut the sweet out. That's why there was a drink that we talked about a little while ago that was, like, what, blue cacao and, and juice? Like So you have, like, sweet on sweet plus sweet, and then you're just, right. like, cloyingly sweet, like, ugh. But the vodka's supposed to cut some of that sweet to make it more... I don't know. Like, imagine you're on a beach drinking this drink right now. Like, does, isn't it refreshing? Yes. Yeah. There you go. It's good. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make uh, fool around with it. I may try a different vodka. I would up your vodka though, because like I'd go like an ounce and a half. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I yeah. think I think just a smidge more vodka, and you uh, you dilute the sweetness a little bit more. You get a little bit of the the punch to it, and yeah. I think you got a solid drink. I agree. Uh, but we digress. Back to the comic. Yeah, so this big guy who you could mistake for Ben Grimm because he's got like a hat and an overcoat uh, walks up and he's like, hey, buddy, uh, I got to get in there and you ain't going to stop me. And the the guy standing at the door says, beat it, you rube. Can't you read? The circus is closed. You can't go in there. Well, are you going to stop me? Oh, sorry. I didn't realize it was you, pal. Where's Gunther? Turns out you're not a rube at all. <laughs> I'm a rube. <laughs> now, d- have we heard this particular character referred to as Gunther ever? That's a good question. I don't think we have. Okay. As I read... So, so there is nothing leading you to know who this person is. No, I don't think... Well, you can kind of guess because it's the blob and he's going to a circus tent. But but yeah, I, I mean... Know, you could You could only guess if you're following the danger room and you happen to be reading all of these... <laughs> Various comics, because these guys don't appear in anything regularly. That is true. Uh, yeah, so they head off to a circus tent, and they're like, uh, the 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 carny guy is like, there, in there. Nobody's been in there, been able to get in there for days. And uh, I ain't nobody. When I don't want to be moved, nothing can move me. And he starts walking towards the tent, and it's his clothes start flying off and ripping and getting shredded. I don't, when I don't want to be stopped, there's hardly a blessed thing on the earth, that the, on the face of the earth that can stop the blob. Yep, it wasn't Ben Grimm after all. It was the blob. Gunther, Eunice, what's going on? It's taking all of my power just to move forward. So, again, I, I, I think this is the first appearance of Eunice's name being revealed as Gunther. I find that hard to believe, but I can't argue with you because I don't know. I, can't, I just, when I read this, I was like, I don't. I don't recall Gunther ever being mentioned. Someone has to go back and look at all of the previous units appearances. Oh, well, all they have to do, Adam, let is us know. follow the Danger Room podcast, and they would know, because unless, true. unless you've been sleeping at the wheel, I think we've got every Eunice appearance covered. I, yeah, I, I think we do. <laughs> so basically, uh, Eunice, Gunther, is he's floating. Yeah, he's floating in the middle of the tent. The tent is being held up by his power. He says, Fred, my friend, you've come. We thought the power was gone, smashed by the Hulk, as recounted in Marvel Fanfare number seven. I remember that. We were wrong. It came back stronger than ever. I've lost all control over it. I can't even maintain my footing on solid ground. Yep, Blob says, you're supporting the whole tent. And and Eunice is like, it's not even that. It's not the worst of it. I haven't eaten in days. No one can get any food to me. And I can't seem to catch my breath. The blob's flesh ripples and trembles as he forces his massive body closer to Eunice's levitating form. 
And uh, it's a nice little drawing here. You can see his flesh rippling and trembling. Yeah. It's hypnotizing. I've been hanging out with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutant fighting the X-Men again. Soon as I heard you was in trouble, I hot-footed it right over here. You're my pal. The only guy who never looked at me like a freak. I'll help you somehow, Gunther. Fred, I... Ack. No, he can't breathe. His force field's down. He's fallen. Speak to Speak me, Speak to Gun- me, Gunther. Say you okay, Gunther? No. And the main tent comes down. The blob storms out of the deflated tent, and he says, No, he's dead. My only friend of the world, they took him from me. Fred J. Dukes has a friend. Let's kill him. That's what they said. I'll make them pay. All of them. And he's it's a close-up on his face and his big mouth, and tears are streaming down his face. Yeah. Freaking so Eunice. What happened to Eunice, though? Eunice, died. Eunice fell into the blob's arms when he died, and then the blob just put him down? <laughs> yeah, he just, you know, <laughs> left him in the tent. Blinded by his rage, he's like, uh, this is a proper burial for my circus <laughs> friend. <stand> here. <laughs> <laughs> but Adam, I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this death squarely on the shoulders of one Hank McCoy. Yeah, that's 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 gotta be. <laughs> I mean, if you recall, way back in the introduction of Eunice, I think I even spoiled a li- it a little. Beast, for you new listeners or those of you who have forgotten, Beast creates a gun to. Uh, elevate Eunice's power to basically make him completely untouchable and invincible, but he's unable to eat, he's repelling everything, he can't sit, he's just miserable. And he comes back and uh, Beast reverses the effects, supposedly, but ever since then, in the pages of whatever comic book we're reading, his powers are out of control. Yeah, so it, I see what you're getting at, and I I, I can't disagree. <laughs> I'm pretty, you shouldn't mess with science. Exactly. I'm I'm pretty sure that the beast is a murderer. <laughs> He'll never know. He won't know. I mean, I, I would imagine that. Uh, you know, is there like a super villain like post or something that that an announcement can be made in the eighties? <laughs> well, just you know. I mean, when a supervillain dies, you'd think that, you know, the nemesis or the nemesi would, would, would out of respect, should know, right? Well, yeah. Like, if, if Magneto died, I mean, shouldn't, and the Avengers are like, holy crap, look, Magneto died. We should probably tell the X-Men. Well, okay, let's assume that somebody tells the X-Men, though. They also have to tell them the, the details of his last moments for in order to Beast to even connect that. <laughs> Beast's a pretty smart guy. I think he'd be like, oh, uh... Uh, yeah, I, how, how did that's we, I don't know, how, how did that happen? Did I do that? <laughs> I got the defenders over here that I got, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, okay, so anyways, uh, more Spider-Man and Black Cat stuff, which... Yep, uh, Spider-Man's uh, crazy costume, uh... Flash Thompson. He, he goes there, talks to Flash Thompson, um... Black Cat shows up, and, and basically Black Cat's like, hey, I want to show you that, uh... I, you and me can work well together, and to prove it, there's something crazy going on downtown. Let's go. Spoilers, Flash Thompson eventually will take this costume. Take, oh, he, oh, he, he becomes a uh, uh, Venom? Yeah. Oh, I, I guess. Not, not for a very long time, though. I didn't know that. In the movie, wasn't it just like Jealous Photographer number two? Jealous Photographer Eddie Brock, who in the comic book was enormous, but in the movie was played by that scrawny kid from that 70s show topher grace yeah yeah but but eddie brock was a was a venom 
right? Yes, he so, was he was the first Venom. So Flash Thompson becomes Venom, or he just becomes like a corrupted black Spider-Man? He becomes a good guy version of Venom. Oh, yeah. Who has a... I think he might still be Venom. Or wouldn't, I think... Nah, I'm not really sure. The Sandman becomes Venom, too, at some point. Seriously? I think so, yeah. Or no, maybe it's not the Sandman, but it's another one of... Or it's the Scorpion. That's who it was. Do all forms of Venom uh, Venom have fangs and like big tongue that sticks out? No, the Flash Thompson version does not. Oh, okay. Not- he, he's kind of a very dead, dead poolian, I suppose. Hmm. Although neither does the Spider-Man version. Right, right, right. So definitively no. Okay. I have no idea about the Scorpion version. Yeah, I, I'm woefully uneducated on the uh, comings and goings of Spider-Man. But I do know that the blob is downtown New York tearing stuff up, throwing a big old man tantrum. My friend is dead, and I'm going to break things. <laughs> the Blob, I've heard of him. Fought him, fought the X-Men a couple of times. But there seems to be no purpose in his rampage. He's just going berserk, says Spider-Man, as, as we now understand him to speak. <laughs> Man, I thought you were doing Black Widow. I was like, Adam, the caption is backward. No, she would be all like, Well, but I, I brought him here so we could show how to we can work together, meow. <laughs> So, yeah, they're they're going to fight together. Uh, Spider-Man, earlier, he was broke, and Robbie was giving him, like, the business about not having any freelance work for him. So he flings the camera over to Black Widow. like, take some pictures. I'm going to go get the blob. And He's like, normally I, I web this up, and I put it in the corner of a building, and I get some crappy shots. And But now, with you here, you can be my photographer sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. She's not too excited about that but whatever she's i guess i don't know she she loves him or likes him i guess we should also mention that black widow has been bestowed with some luck powers or something by king black cat not black widow oh black cat ah darn it too many too many black things in here (laughs) and i mean that by costumes adam i wasn't going to touch that line with a 10-foot pole. So Spider-Man, he's attacking Blob, and we all know the, the you know, how it goes. Blob is unmovable. He You punch him, and his gut can kind of absorb your hand. So Spider-Man's making his terrible jokes and getting stuck inside the Blob. Eventually, he delivers a line like, this guy's more powerful than the Juggernaut, because he has fought the Juggernaut. This is embarrassing. I feel like I'm losing a fight to the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yes, and then That's hilarious Spider-Man lines like that don't further his cause. There's a guy watching in the shadows who I don't think we get to uh, learn who it is. It looks from to me like it's the tarantula Could from be. the back, but I don't have any confirmation of that because he does not appear in this issue. I, I suppose in the next panel it could also be like one of the goblins or something. To me, in the next panel, he looks like Hobgoblin, but in the yeah. the panel before, it looks like it could be Iron Fist. He's got like the, the the shoulders and then he's got like the bandana thing going on. Maybe. But yeah, it's all shadows. never know. Anyways, yeah, Spider-Man and uh, Blob are fighting and Blob's like, um, you're messing with the wrong guy. I nearly fought the Hulk to a standstill. I'll break you like a twig. So he's got Spider-Man by the arms. He's getting ready to break him in two. And that's when Black Cat puts down the camera and she's like, Meow, that fat creep is torturing my spider. I'll ditch this camera and help my lover out, snarf, snarf. (laughs) And she does. She uses her nice rope to tie it around his neck and 
Nice try, Chicky, but it won't wash. Yeah, I mean, I think this all this does really is serve to surprise him so that Spider-Man is able to get loose. Uh, but she's able to, um, I guess, knock him over. Yeah, she knocks him over with her, her luck powers. Ah, uh, yes. He's a bad luck. It wasn't... I wasn't planted, so I lost my patience. Dang. Bad luck, all right, caused by me, snarf, snarf. So when I said luck powers, I meant, I guess it's bad luck, but it's it's bad luck for folks that surround her. Right. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a kind of a spidey sense that causes bad luck to anything that is threatening her. Yep. So they, they fight some more. I don't know. Eventually, Blob gets some soup spilt on him. He crashes through the street, and he's kind of yeah. stuck. It's all related to bad luck. He's able to pull himself out, and then he's like, uh, "Let's see. There's a there's a there's a word here. Um, let's see. What does he say? That'll teach you to cross paths with the black cat." Snarf. Right, and right after that, Spider Man falls through the the asphalt. Spider-Man says, really, with your looks and such antisocial behavior, how do you expect to meet any friends, Blobby? And that's when he says, friends? I I had a friend. He was my only friend in the whole world, and now, no, he's dead. He's climbed up out of the hole. He's walking towards Times Square. He's like, no, no more fighting. No more fighting. I'm tired of fighting. I just want to be left alone. I'm all alone. So alone. Sits down right in the middle of Times Square. Cabs and cars and everything. It's gridlock. Nobody can move. It's mass chaos. And the blob is just sitting there crying. Nobody can move him. Everybody's shouting at him. Gee, I almost feel sorry for the poor slob. Yeah, and then that's when a police officer comes up that Spider-Man knows. I don't know who this woman is. and she's Captain DeWolf. Captain DeWolf. And she says... Hey, hey, aren't you going to do something about the blob? And they're like, well, he was causing property damage and wrecking the city, but now he's just wrecking traffic, and that's your job. We're out of here. <laughs> See ya. And everyone's yelling, and the blob sits there and very quietly sobs. See ya, wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> that's heavy material, Adam. Eunice, I mean, uh, w- was it, who, who wrote this? It was uh, Al Milgram. Al Milgram's like, hmm. What villain can I kill? I don't know. <laughs> like, why pick on poor units? Like, we knew it was going to happen because at the end of that uh, Hulk issue, whatever it was, the was it Marvel 2-in-1 or... Whatever. Yeah, we knew that his powers were coming back because the rock started moving. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we kind of knew that it was left on a cliffhanger. But that's one of the things I always wonder about the Marvel bullpen. Like, is Jim Shooter like... Hey, nobody's picked up that Eunice storyline. Al, you want to deal with that? And Al's like, yeah, sure, I can write that in. I can tie it in with Black. Yeah, yeah, I can make that work. Can I kill him? Sure, whatever you want to do, buddy. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Maybe or, there's a big board. Or, yeah, that. I mean, that's what I've uh, always wondered. Like, is there just like a whole bunch of lines that go to various storylines and then things that are just like hanging like, oh, we need to connect that pin at some point? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like really studious writers that are like, you know what? really bothers me we never closed off the eunice storyline <laughs> maybe maybe el milgram was a huge eunice fan and he just felt like you know growing up it was his favorite character and then he felt like eunice wasn't really going anywhere and he thought about bringing him back and making him a super powerful villain for spider-man and him shooter stepped in and said ah that guy's lame kill him off no fine you're the one that signs the checks <laughs> Well, 
that uh, turns our attention over to the mighty world of Marvel, number 14. It's 14, 15, and 16. This is all one story. And uh, it's kind of the introduction of Megan, if you're familiar with Excalibur. Although we've met her before, but... Did we? The last time that we saw Megan and Captain Britain, he was having all that crazy stuff happen to him. He was fighting that uh, alternate world dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean... Just I'm, like twisting reality and whatnot. Yeah. And in the UK was turning into like a Holocaust area and stuff. Mm-hmm. The internment camps. Well, what I gather, and I kind of flipped through some issues of Captain Britain to figure this out, but... Um, all of that, when when Captain Britain won uh, the day there, everybody in the UK and the rest of the world forgot that that ever happened, except for, like, Captain Britain and Betsy and whatever. Right. I gathered that from just reading the story. Oh, does it say it right here? It, it oh, does. Yeah. It says, well, I guess it does. <laughs> almost everybody remembers, or almost everyone forgot. Betsy remembers. Poor Betsy. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so, I mean... Uh, I know that you had written somewhere that we saw Megan in one of these previous issues. Uh, and as a former Excalibur reader, I would have been like, oh, look, there's Megan. But I don't honestly recall seeing her. So was she, she just was like the, a- she was she was she was in that one off where there was two people in a prison cell and they were talking about all the amazing things that Captain Britain did and. He'd, be, he'd become this kind of folklore hero, hmm. and they were by candlelight telling these stories to each other. I do remember that. Yeah. So Megan was in that whole scene? Yeah. Oh. She was one of the storytellers. Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. No joke. This is this is post that, though. Yeah. And there's a bum who's shambling around. I mean, Captain Britain, he's kind of, he's at his manor or something, right? Or wherever he is, he's recounting everything that you just recounted. So we can skip all that. But there's a, a bum who's, uh, who's shambling through the alleyways when a Wendigo-like creature comes screaming towards him. And- well, we, should, we should point out that this is, uh, it used to be Alan Moore and Alan Davis, but now it's just Alan Davis. Yeah, uh, it also, Steve Steve Craddock inking, I suppose. It also says uh, co-creators, uh, Alan Davis and Steve Craddock. So I, I thought, think that's just the UK's way of saying oh, the creators of this issue. Got it. All so right. like sharing in the writing and art duties, the co-creators, as it were, are Alan Davis and Steve Craddock. Got it. And then Chris Gill, whoever he is, he's he's editing the book. He's, maybe he's the... Uh, Kim Shooter of the, of the UK. UK. Could be. So the creature attacks the bum. Captain Britain dives down to save the day and drives the creature away. The creature runs away uh, after punching Captain Britain. And Captain Britain's like, well, that's weird. <laughs> that shouldn't have Captain happened. Britain goes to follow the creature and can't find him. And there's some, there's some, uh, uh, the creature has some memories. And this is when she remembers that issue where she was in the, uh, in the, in the cell that I was referring to before. Right. So she, she can kind of vaguely remember the alternate reality. And uh, they do refer to her here uh, as Megan, don't they? Well, if they don't. Yes. This is Megan. Yes, she's, she's got She's got she's like, talking to some little girl. She's got antennae. She's got pointy ears. She's got like bat wings. And she's got like a mane of hair that reminds me a lot of uh, Sabretooth or Wendigo. So she's very 
She's she's not a pretty woman. She's very creature-like. Is this what she looked like in Excalibur? No. Okay. So I, I didn't think so. Yeah. I mean, in in, and I can't wait till we get back to Excalibur uh, so that I can reread it because I do want to reread it. But I felt like she had some sort of like uh, empathy power to where she would take on the physical attributes of the general uh, uh, feelings around her. So like if Captain Britain was like really angry or mad or whatever, she would like kind of turn ugly and sad looking. Hmm. But when Captain Britain was like really in a good mood, she'd like turn super hot. <laughs> that could have been poor artwork and me reading way too far into it. I mean, she has other powers as well, but uh, so I'd like to see how this character develops, uh, I guess is a long way of saying that. Interesting. So anyways, yeah, this, this uh, Megan is talking to her little friend and uh, she's just talking about Captain Britain or the That's captain. That's the flashback. Yeah. And uh, then the girl is like, we haven't seen a full moon in three months. Megan, why do you look forward to the full moon so much? Megan's like, I don't. I dread it. And she's hunched over, holding her head. She does not like the full moon. No, sir. She's the, it drives her into a rage and she jumps down and starts beating the crap out of Captain Britain and then runs away again and just running through some sort of strange jungle gym of uh, a constructed building. Yeah, it's, I'm going to call it like construction scaffolding. Yeah. She, uh, Captain Britain bumps into some kids, Mickey and Josie, and they apparently know Megan. Yeah, and I guess I guess when the moon's uh, when the moon's full, she acts all crazy. Megan, when the moon's full, you mean she's a werewolf? Don't be silly, or don't be silly. She's a mutant. I can't do an English accent right now. <laughs> well, whatever. But the full moon makes her go a bit crazy. Yeah, that's that's a little bit of Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're Irish. They could be. I mean, they're they're relatively close to one another, right? Uh, anyways, she's nice, but uh, the tramp, the guy that was in the alleyway, the smell drives her crazy. He smells like a dead animal, and she couldn't bear it, and she went wild. So that's the deal with the whole tramp. Of course, in the U.S., we have a totally different understanding of the word tramp. So every time I read it, I was like, tee but uh, yeah, anyway, so um, I did not make that connection. Well, interesting. I'm lowbrow. <laughs> Captain Britain uh, continues talking with the kids. Megan sees uh, Captain Britain talking to the kids and attacks him. And she mistakenly thinks that he is attacking the kids. And so she attacks him and they fight and the scaffolding explodes and kind of crashes onto the kids and it all kills Mickey. Everybody's and, okay, uh, except for Mickey, and in this panel, it really looks like some scaffolding like goes through him. Yes. So I think that's what happened. Mickey! Mickey's dead! That's, so that's two deaths, everybody. Keep track, keep the score at home. It's two deaths in one Danger Room episode. Wow. That's a twofer. That, that doesn't happen very often. No. And uh, Megan goes nuts. She flies away. She's screaming, no! Captain now, Brit is this just a drawing or is part of her powers here that she can turn into an amorphous gas and disappear? I don't really know. I I just interpreted this to be like she's flying away really fast. Okay. But maybe. I don't really know what her powers... I don't even really know the extent of her powers when she's in Excalibur, but I shouldn't do a lot of these things in Excalibur. <laughs> anyway, so Captain Britain, he clears away the scaffolding, or scaffolding. And, uh, he, you know, he thinks to himself, he has traveled the cosmos, helped save the universe, and seen things 
we can only dream of. He is more than a man. He is a hero, or so he had thought until tonight. That's the end of that issue. And so the next issue, uh, we get we get a we get a letterer S S Craddock. So well, that's the same guy who was a creator. So he's been bumped down from creator status to just a letterer. Uh, so he was probably a letterer before too, and. We just because there is no co-creator here. This it's is writer, artist, Ellen Davis, letterer, S. Craddock, or yeah. A letter, yeah, letterer, editor, letterer, editor. Well, editor is Chris Gill, but I, this, yeah, this is definitely an Alan Davis joint. So I'm wondering if Alan Davis is just like Craddock. You don't bring much to this project. <laughs> You're on letters, buddy. Fine. I just I just need a paycheck. <laughs> so it's been a so while. It's, and- it's been a while. <laughs> And uh, Mickey's parents are getting back from, I don't know, the funeral. Uh, they're all upset with things. And uh, Captain Britain shows up at their door and says he's responsible for their son's death. And her mom says, no, no, you're not. Yeah, they he got were... in with the wrong crowd. When his dad left us, it was only a matter of time. Very long conversation. T is involved. Some friends come over, or maybe that's a sister. I think it's a sister, actually. Nope, those are the same people. Oh, friends. Okay, they come over. So so it's Josie, Josie's mom, and Josie's mom's dad. So it's it's those three people. Yeah, they have a big, long conversation. And uh, Captain Britain's wondering how he could be so careless when he knew there was young children. Uh, he, since he's been doing all these worldly, universal things, he, he thought for a very long time that he was just above the plight of the humans. And just recently he had realized that it's all about the humans, but he's still not quite, you know, dialed into how fragile they can be, I guess. Apparently since the last issue, he's been doing street level crimes in order to make up for this. Yeah. The the dad's like, you did this and saved them. And you're such a hero and such a wonderful, like you get London is, or UK is better for having you. That's when Megan shows up. Yeah, Captain Britain's like, I wasn't thinking about the kids. I was more intent on beating that creature, Megan. And Megan says, and all I wanted to do was kill you. Friends are like, Megan, you've come back. Father's like, good Lord, what is going on here? Good Lord. And now this is Megan in her glory, hair crazily flying all over the place. She's still got the wings and the spiky ears and, and the antennae, but she's wearing jeans and a jacket. So like she's trying to fit in. Is it a jacket or is there or there's just uh, poofy poofy shoulders? Yeah, I yeah, I guess it could be poofy shoulders, but it looks like there's a like a black shirt on behind all of that hair, or that could be shadows. I don't know, but I I would assume if she's wearing jeans, she's probably wearing a shirt or a jacket of some kind. We'll never know. (laughs) I don't think we will. You might be right. Actually, that might be uh, the poofy things there might just be part of her. But yeah, she's like, uh, you know, I went crazy when I smelled that guy. I just couldn't help it. I'm an animal. What am I going to do? I never, I've never lost control like that. So it's my fault. I killed him. And the parents are super like, oh, it's nobody's fault. Don't worry <laughs> you, about it. Would you crazy looking girl and you super heroic dude shut up already? <laughs> Look at you two fighting like an old married couple. It's, We've moved on. Yes. Mickey's yesterday's news. Sheesh. This is real life, not some childish comic strip. You have to live your lives and help others along the way. That's all you can do. Uh, okay. Well, that's weird. Not really the response I was looking for. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so the woman, the wife's like, well, why don't you have some more tea and tell me about the cosmic beings you saved in this universe? So, 
so he probably he talks about Saturnine, so he must be telling regaling them with tales of previous issues, and they laugh and. Uh, Megan. Megan talks about how she kind of remembers the alternate reality where they were in the concentration camp and Captain Britain's like, well, You're if right. you remember that, I should probably bring you back to my mansion so that we can hook you up to a computer and, and see if I can help you remember more stuff. Secret headquarters. Wowie, says Megan. Everybody, Everybody laughs. Oh, 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 Megan, you'll be the death of us. And and that's, that's when four goons teleport in with crazy costumes. Yeah, and they start wrecking the joint. There's no dialogue. There's no sound effects. It's just fighting happening. Captain Britain, uh, I don't think Megan's doing much here. Well, she's in there. She's baring her teeth and such. Yeah, they are handily defeated, these bad guys. Captain Britain's got one of them by his, his uh, scruff of his neck, and he's like, who are you? Answer me! And then they disappear. They disappear, and then it turns out that they wrecked the whole uh, apartment, and they're like, oh, no, this is even worse. And the mom is just like, yeah, you know, yeah, on the bright side, the council will have to rehouse us, and we'll be out of the slum. So this is like the most positive woman in the world. <laughs> my son's dead. There's a big hole in the side of my house. Would anybody like some more tea? <laughs> and that's the end of that issue. So the next issue, we're back at the mansion, and Betsy shows up, and apparently this is the first time that they've seen each other in a while. Um, this time we have Alan Davis and Mike Collins as the co-creators. Alan Davis is like, oh man, that's a lot of work. I think I need somebody to help me. <laughs> Not Craddock, though. Put him on letters. <laughs> Give me that Collins guy. He's I've heard good things about him. And I disagree, because I think the artwork in here takes a little bit of a dive. Um, you think Alan Davis is better off lettering himself? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I think Mike D Mike Collins is dragging him down. I'm not sure what Mike... I would imagine Mike Collins is inking, maybe. maybe uh, that would be my guess, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Betsy Braddock shows up and she's like, look at this place, it's crazy, I can't believe it's here. It's awesome. And then there, this, there's a lot of talk in this one about how there's a bunch of robots or holograms rebuilding the mansion even though it's really already been been rebuilt because it never really got badly damaged in the first place only pieces underground really got damaged but they're doing some sort of thing so that the public thinks that it really got damaged i didn't really matter much to me it seems super complicated but you know for the purposes of this it's it's irrelevant and somehow the nanny of the mansion is related to the mansion somehow, and the mansion has a program that was a computer that used to be bad. These are all stories that we are not familiar with. Uh, Captain Britain's like, Betsy, isn't it weird that Dad invented a computer 10 years ago or 15 years ago, way before the computer revolution? Isn't that weird? Betsy never really answers. She's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, when a bunch of robots come descending. Well, they just appear. They appear, and then it's like in the last issue, there's a lot of fighting, except this time they get the jump on Captain Britain, and that's when Betsy uses her super psionic giant mind face powers to, uh, I guess, get in all their heads, and they all disappear. Well, I think, yeah, she disables them. So I'm assuming I'm assuming that there's humans underneath this, these robotic uh, exoskeletons, and I'm guessing whoever's controlling them uh, sensed their disablement and probably beamed him out. Right. But she says she's grown. Victoria showed her how to use Tom's death 
presumably to have better powers. Uh, and Tom, did he die? Yeah, he was the guy that died in the, that concentration camp yeah. issue. It was her her uh, psychic boyfriend. Yes, yes, that's right, yep. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's thinking to myself that he, he, Captain Britain, that he could start and lead a normal life, but now too many crazy things are happening. And on the next page, we see a very happy Captain Britain get shot to bits. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things are, uh, okay, so there's somebody watching through the window. Yep. Um, somebody, is that is that Claw or something like that? It's not Claw, it's the mustachioed man who I was like, this guy is like the, the I don't know, definition of evil. He's got the pointy, he's got a goatee, the pointy mustache, the cocked eyebrows. I can't remember his name, but he was definitely featured in some of the previous uh Captain Britain issues we've read. Right. We see a bank robbery, and these uh, four weird-looking Moppet gentlemen are uh, dudes that Jasper Jom Jims or whatever, the the crazy guy, he created them out of the dust. Yeah. We've seen them what, before, too. I don't know too. what their deal is. No. And then there's a detective, I guess, who's looking over the files, and he is comparing... Brian Braddock to Captain Britain. And I don't honestly know if Captain Britain and Brian Braddock are publicly connected. I don't think they are. But this guy looks to be ready to connect those dots. So what we're trying to tell you is that there's like nine things about to happen and it will all be continued in Captain Britain number one. Whoa. Which begs the question, Adam, are we going to cover Captain Britain? I'm going to do it similar to the way we do Alpha Flight, which is that I'm going to read it, and if it matters, I'll mention it. Otherwise, I'm just going to say, I read Captain Britain this month or this week. Nothing to say here. (laughs) I would imagine, and it would be something that we could talk about as we go through it, that there will probably be an evolution of um, uh, Megan's powers, and maybe somehow it connects um, Betsy Braddock to the X-Men. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of Betsy. I've kind of scanned the issues and there's definitely a lot of Betsy, a lot of Megan. Okay. Um, but, uh, but I don't, I didn't read them. I just kind of, no, no, fair enough because I mean, uh, and I'm not going to spoil it, but her, her introduction to the X-Men. Oh wait, no, I think she's introduced in the pages of new mutants. If I recall correctly. Okay. Okay. Anyways, I don't remember exactly where or when or why, but I, I'm pretty sure she's introduced in new mutants and then just shows up in X-Men. So when I was reading, I was like, who's this character? And eh, she's kind of neat. And then, of course, Jim, neat she is. And then Jim Lee came along and totally changed our perception of Betsy Braddock. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jim yep. Lee. <laughs> You're a dirty, dirty man. This woman's not a sex pot enough. <laughs> Here we go. Let's make her Asian and voluptuous. Boom. Spoilers. Was, yeah. Oh, did I spoil that? Nobody knew that was coming? Okay. <laughs> well, Adam, let's finish this thing up with a couple of issues of Firestar. What do you think? All right, uh, these two issues are from 1986, so this is like two years in the future. So this is this is essentially a retcon for a character that hasn't yet been introduced in the pages of the Uncanny X-Men, which will be her fa- her first appearance. But these issues take place nowish, so where we where we are in the Danger Room. I read them, but I'm not really going to look at them because you know, as we talked about, it's a little unnecessary. Uh, but but uh, we can kind of talk a little bit about the plot. I mean, it's a very similar plot line to the original introduction to Kitty Pride. 
right? Cerebro detects a new mutant presence. I'm we should a- mention this is Firestar number one and number two. Oh, yes. Part of a four-issue limited series. We're not going to cover three of four. Yet or ever. Yep. Maybe ever. No, we will. <laughs> we will. Because there's a huge cliffhanger. Actually, I forget how it ends. <laughs> no, I remember how it ends. Anyways, uh, yeah, so the Hellfire Club, or basically Emma Frost in her Massachusetts Institute, and the X-Men with Cerebro identify a new mutant presence. They race to go find her, but Emma Frost beats him to the punch. And Emma Frost is basically brainwashing Firestar to believe that the X-Men are just these horrible, evil people, and if she ever sees them, she should she should attack. And then, for some stupid reason, and this may be the part that you have the biggest problem with, uh, Emma Frost, publicly, I mean, the X-Men know who Emma Frost is and know that the Massachusetts Institute is affiliated with the Hellfire Club. And let me ask you this, Adam, the Hellions storyline has already occurred, right? Yes, this uh, issue, well, I think issue one takes place before they meet the Hellions, and issue two takes place after the New Mutants have faced the Hellions. And that makes sense, because in issue two, they get an invitation from the Massachusetts Institute to attend a dance at the Massachusetts Institute, and the New Mutants and X-Men are like, sure, we should do that. (laughs) Well, they have reservations. Well, right. In two senses. (laughs) Somebody's like, uh, hey, but... But that's Emma Frost in the Hellfire Club. And Storm's like, I think this is a good idea. They say uh, Storm and Colossus are going to chaperone. Yep, that, that, and, that's uh, responsible. You know, Emma Frost wouldn't do anything stupid. No. Because, like, it's public. So so I think it's safe. And these kids want to get out and have fun. It's at a school. I mean. Shake it, a leg. It's her school. But it's still a school. You can't do evil at a school. It is weird. Of kids. Well, anyways, why, they, why, why it, it seems like an obvious trap if like Emma Frost is inviting like she's in Massachusetts and the, where these guys are in New York. It's like a, it's, it's like one heck of a drive. That's a few just hours to go to a school dance. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, ex, the, the new mutants have been cooped up. You know? you know, the professor's not really all that much into fun. So, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, go blow off some steam. Go to the dance. So they do. And uh well, weirdly enough, weird crap starts happening. Sam Guthrie f- like falls in like with Firestar. Firestar falls in like with Sam Guthrie. And uh, all the while, Emma Frost has been like, your powers are super deadly. I guess we should mention what her powers are, right, Adam? She, We don't really know what her powers are. I mean, she has some sort of radioactive power where when she gets upset, because she can't control her powers yet, uh, things burn, essentially. Well, I don't think it's radioactive so much. I mean, I guess you could infer that, but they say that's like a microwave power. So she, she does, right, she's right. not like Torch where she's starting things on fire, but she can she can make things melt or make things burn from the inside out, which would essentially start a fire. And uh, so she's, uh, Emma Frost has been like, you need to stay away from people. You can't be by the Hellions. You're going to train in private because you could kill somebody. You're super dangerous. And, uh, you know, finally she's like, I want to go to the dance. And Emma Frost is like, okay, well, you, you've earned it. You can go to the dance, but remember what I told you. So she's making out with Sam Guthrie. Sam Guthrie's making out with her. And Emma Frost gets into Firestar's mind and she's like, what did I tell you? You're dangerous. Get away from that well, no, boy. Not only that, but Emma Frost manipulates Sam yeah. into going outside with Firestar. So the whole the whole thing is like a forced kiss that I think Emma Frost makes happen. Oh yeah, it, and it, then she gets into Firestar's head, and she's like, "Why are you kissing him? You have terrible powers. That's bad, bad girl." Yeah, I mean the whole thing is 
manipulated and designed to uh, make Firestar drive Firestar as far away from as possible from the X-Men and as close as possible to Emma Frost. And this works. She runs away. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. What? Why am I so selfish? And she runs out to a barn because she's been she's grown very fond of this horse named Butterrum. And uh, she uh, is so upset that she inadvertently starts a fire in the barn. She's panicked. She's like, oh, my God, Butterrum, Butterrum. But she's able to get inside. She's able to walk Butterrum out. Butterrum walks out on his own power. But as soon as he gets outside, he freaking dies, Adam. That's the third death. <laughs> I don't know why you pick these issues, but by the time I got done reading this badge, there was mascara and tears down my face. <laughs> <sighs> I had to have a glass of wine to settle down. It, it was a rough batch of issues. I got to give you that. Three deaths. <laughs> Man. Hey, sometimes it's sad in the Marvel Universe. I guess. And so Butterrum is dead and uh, Firestar's like, oh, I guess I should say there was even a fourth death because uh, Firestar had a, a Nana who who was older, but she was still alive when the issue first started, uh, and she died. And that kind of led to the development of her mutant power. So four deaths. Right. Yeah. Wow. This is a four-death episode. Yeah, that's that's a record. People, put that in your scorebooks. Let's, uh, I don't think we're going to see four deaths or more anytime soon or ever. So... Uh... So, yeah, my I just thought this was not a very well done first. The second issue was better than the first issue. It was the first issue that I had the most problems with. Well, so the first issue was all about her, like, being a teenager, uh, living with a father who moves, who's a nuclear technician, moves from town to town, and uh, poor Firestar can't make friends. Her Nana's like, you have an M on the palm of your hand, and that makes you special. And then eventually somebody at school's like, yeah, everybody's got an M on their, their hand. You're not special. And then her Nana dies. I don't know. I thought it wasn't like, well, what didn't you like about it? I just don't. I thought it was pointless. Like, I don't know what it's. It doesn't seem like this story is going anywhere. I feel like, I don't know. Why do a Firestar limited series? I just, was this like when uh, the Amazing Spider Friends was happening? Well, that's kind of what I wondered, but I, I really felt like that show, like, uh, was it Fire? What was it called? It was like Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. Yeah. And there's been, there's been a couple of Spider-Man cartoons, and I know that we've definitely seen like the Saturday morning lineup in some of the issues we've already read. But I can't remember if the Firestar cartoon is out at this point. So Spider-Man and his amazing friends came out in 1981. But who's his amazing friends? It's it's is it Iceman and Firestar? Yes. Oh, so they lifted Firestar from the cartoon. It was from 1981 to 1983. Yes. So Firestar was uh, lifted from the cartoon. Okay. And then she shows up. Their first issue is coming up in X-Men. Well, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Harley Quinn was also lifted from the cartoon. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing. I'm just saying I don't understand what the purpose of this uh, miniseries is. Doesn't she eventually get her own comic book? I don't know. I don't I, think so. You know what? I, I think Spider-Man and his amazing friends gets an adaptation. I think eventually she joins the New Warriors or something like that. Uh, that could be. I don't remember, though. She probably joins the Hellions. Maybe maybe we'll see maybe we'll see more of her in New Mutants and that is I'm just not familiar with her because I'm not too familiar with the New Mutants. That would be an interesting concept though is to have a four-part miniseries where you're actually introducing a villain rather than like the latest hero sensation. 
but I don't think that's the case here. No, it's it's not. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, my my only um, connection with this is definitely Spider Man and his amazing friends. I always wanted to watch that because I knew Firestar was a mutant, and Iceman obviously was uh, among the lineup, but. By the time I learned of it, it was too late because it was off. <laughs> and uh, I don't. It only lasted it for a year. Well, it was only, yeah, but I don't think it ever actually made it back into syndication, uh, or at least it didn't make it into syndication where I was. But Adam, it is on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I can't remember which. And the X Men make two appearances in Spider Man and his amazing friends. Well, you better you better get watching. I've watched them. Oh, you did? Oh, did you just watch the X Men episodes? Yeah, that's it. Are they awful? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> it was a couple of months ago. I mean, they certainly okay. weren't. They certainly weren't memorable. Obviously not. <laughs> I want to say that one of them flashed back to like, it, like it had like the modern X Men, like Wolverine and Nightcrawler and et cetera. And they flash back to like when we were young and then, oh, Iceman, he was like, yeah, th- these are my former teammates. When we were younger, we were on a team. And they flash back to like the original five X-Men in their original five uniforms in the danger room or something. That'd be cool. Which is like, wow. Somebody like, it's really like bad Hanna-Barbera stilted animation. So somebody Mm. had to draw a lot of original content to get, you know, two teams of X-Men and one team was only used for a flashback. You'd think that they would just like recycle the action footage of the current X-Men. Yeah. I, I appreciated it for that, but, uh, so yeah, if you're bored and it's uh you know, you have Netflix or Amazon Prime and you're like, I've seen every appearance of X-Men in animated form, maybe you haven't seen these and you should. So the other problem I had with this series and this is a kind of nitpicky um is that it's it's a retcon inserting events into stories that have already happened, but this first issue I it doesn't go anywhere. Like there's enough details in here to make it so that the timeline doesn't make sense with the timeline that we know. Well, there's enough, how do I say, there's enough content and details that the timeline is kind of irrelevant. So I've, so it's got to be after the X-Men know that Emma Frost is awake. Right. Because Emma Frost is in it and nobody's like, oh, Emma Frost is back. There's so scenes. It's, it's either that or it, or maybe it even... It, maybe it takes place before Emma Frost went into a coma. I suppose that's a possibility. Well, and it could possibly take place before the X-Men or New Mutants, I should say, fight the Hellions because... Well, it definitely takes place before the New Mutants fight the Hellions. Either both issues or just the it, first issue? Just the first issue. Well, the second... The second issue definitely takes place after they fight the Hellions How do because you, they mention the Hellions. Remember, you oh, guys just met the the Hellions. You're right. You're right. You're right. So even that right there, you'd be like, why are we going to go to a dance with the Hellions? They tried to kill us. Well, they... I guess they didn't. They're like... To be fair, they, they you know, they they tried... They were they were okay with us. They, they made, wanted to battle us. They wanted to battle, and then... But they were going to let us go. The best made really the best man. Frost that we have the problem with. Yeah. I don't know. It, it does seem very interesting to try to do a retcon in a four-part uh, miniseries. They could have just done this story. I guess I don't really know what exactly what's going on in X-Men 193. Maybe it just didn't work at that time period. The only thing that makes sense is if it took place before Emma Frost goes into her coma. The first issue. Yeah. Not the dance, because the dance happens after no, no, the Hellions. The, dance, the second issue happens after they meet the Hellion. Yeah, I think there's a... Well, once... I'm just, it's, just, it's only the, the second issue I get. I know where that takes place chronologically 
the first issue I just can't figure out. Well, they even say in the issue that she, you know, she's going to high school, her Nana dies, she develops her powers, she burns something, she tells her dad about it, Emma Frost finds her, and then the second issue is like four months later. So in Marvel time, your your guess is as good as anybody's. But you're right, that, that could have been pre-coma. Even though Firestar in the second issue is like, boy, it was weird when Emma Frost disappeared for a couple weeks. It can't be post-coma. It could be. That, well, it, it could be, but if it is, then some of the details are incorrect. Because the only time it could be post-coma, uh, it would be after Secret Wars. Yeah, you're right. And the professor's in his wheelchair. Well, when, now hang on a second. And, hang on a second. Now wait. Pump the brakes a minute. Okay. Kitty Pride. And magic first see Emma Frost out of her coma state while the X-Men are in Secret Wars or coming out of Secret Wars. Right, which is exactly why I say that this issue, if it takes place post-coma, has to take place after Secret Wars. But issue one could have taken place before Secret Wars, but after she came out of her a coma, but before no, Kitty... No, it couldn't have. Well, how do you know when she came out of her coma? Because no nobody in the X-Men knows that she's in out of her coma until she goes until until they get back from Secret Wars. Oh, you're right. Kitty Pride finds out yeah, that she's okay. out of her coma while the X-Men are in Secret Wars. You're right. And and when the professor and Nightcrawler show up at Firestar's house, she's being escorted out by Emma Frost. Yeah, and they're not like, What? Emma Frost? Yeah. So you're right. Before com- before the coma. So it has to be before coma. Yeah, okay. And I'm, I'm not even sure if that's accurate, but I'm not going back to look. <laughs> isn't there somebody, like a Marvel historian, who can tell us? No. Okay. There isn't. <laughs> there well, probably is. Let's let's put a pin in this one, Adam. We got we have no more issues to cover now. We're now we're just spinning our wheels. Yeah, like I said, it's a nitpick. <laughs> it's pretty. It's a pretty big nitpick. But Adam, not a fan. Um, I'm indifferent, really. It's always been on my like reading pile. Like, hey, I know Firestar's a, a character, and she's got a four part miniseries. Maybe one day I'll read it. Yeah, the second issue has a cover of her blasting the crap out of Wolverine. Bet that sold a lot of copies. It probably did, but in the comic book, she's just blasting away a robot copy. Right, and it turns out that her powers didn't even do anything because Emma Frost secretly triggered the robot to explode. Yeah, Emma Frost. She's manipulating the heck out of Firestar. Oh yeah. So there you go. So we won't pick up uh, the second half of this series until after uh, Firestar is introduced in the pages of X-Men. So there you go, folks. Something to look forward to. Oh, yeah. That's about... I, I know this is riveting stuff. It's about two and a half months from now. Hopefully <laughs> hopefully you can contain yourself. Well, we're on a string of X-Men issues. We're not going to do any of these side uh, things for quite a while. Eight or nine in a row or something. Strap yourself in, folks. You got a couple of months of pure, unadulterated X-Men. No more sidetracks. No more deviations. It's X-Men, all X-Men, all the time. All new, all different. Some of it might be adulterated. Oh, jeez, Adam. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, so if, why don't you drop us a line or something? Uh, we're at uh, Danger Room at RedCatProductions.com. Xmenpodcast.com, Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, at Danger Room Go. We're on Stitcher. You can go to iTunes and search us up for Danger Room. We're the first podcast that shows up. If you type that, you can subscribe and give us a review or leave us some stars if you so choose. You can, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, 501 Get X Men, leave us a, a voice message. 
send us a drink recipe, have your own optic blast and write in and tell us what you think the proper measurements are or how good or bad you think it is. Let us know. It's it's good. Yeah. Do we do we have time for a letter? Sure, absolutely we have a time for a letter, Adam. Okay. This is from Samuel Bear. He says, By the white wolf, I've finally made it. So happy to be caught up on this podcast, and after 184 episodes, I'm glad to have caught up on this. I'm looking forward to the episodes and all the first times by the white wolf is used so I can finally say greetings from the present. Well, there you go. You got your name mentioned twice. You were only shooting for once. Congratulations. When was it? When was twice? We just mentioned it now. Last week he wrote in saying he was like at 150. Oh, really? Wow. He moves fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. He's, he's plugging away on those, uh, those, those podcasts. And we would, we would like to have it no other way. We wish we could produce another 150 for you to blast through, but that, that would be a lot of work. Start over. <laughs> Start over from the beginning. Pick up on all the nuanced context and jokes that we made. Yeah, let us know all the mistakes that we made. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a lot of uh, hidden subtext that uh, you don't catch in the first listen through. It's like a really well-crafted movie that you have to watch multiple times to pick up all the... That's us. Yep, yep. Breadcrumbs. We're deep. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else, Adam. Do you have anything else? No. Well, then, until next time when we have nothing but X-Men, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>